think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 334 of Low Limit Football on this 15th of August, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, sad breaking news as one of the all-time great legends, Gerd Müller, has passed away at the age of 75. England, France, Germany, and Spain have all started the 21-22 season with Italy scheduled to start this week. We're going to make our predictions today. And Lionel Messi has completed his move to PSG. We're going to discuss that and more with our very special guest, Mr. Santi Bauza from CNN World Sport and Hand of Pod Podcast, who will be joining us in just a bit. But first, Mr. Roberto Rojas, get in here. How are you, my man? I am good, Joe. How are you? Good, I'm, good. I'm I'm very happy, that's for sure. Congratulations, my friend, on your master's degree. Thank uh, you. Time to get out in the world and work, I guess, right? Time time to adult. Aww, that, that, sounds, that, sounds so, that sounds so harsh for you to say. <laughs> I thought you were going to give me like a speech like, oh, go all oh, the places you'll go and that kind of stuff. No, you're just saying, now go work. Now go work, yeah, because you've already been to the places. <laughs> you've already done the things. Uh, yeah. yeah now, now the adulting happens, I guess, right, is – is that's uh the, the sad truth unfortunately but uh it's the, it's the thing that we all thought of when we were kids that we can't wait to be an adult and i just can't wait to say this mm -hmm. it sucks <laughs> <laughs> see i listen i've always said the very best age in your life ever you'll never get your high point is four years old because you can walk you can talk you can go to the bathroom without having to wear a diaper or anything like that you can get food out of the fridge and feed yourself You've got no bills, you've got no school, you've got no job, you've got no worries. I mean, I've seen school at four years old. Uh, sometimes. I did. Or, or you're just getting into it. Mm. Okay. But that is, that's peak life right there, four years old. After that, it is all downhill. And it ebbs and flows, and sometimes things get better and worse and better and worse, but four years old is peak life. That's it. And, I, and no one can convince me otherwise, man. Um Wish we could all go back. Think? Oh, it could be worse. It could be 30. Uh, th no, 30 is real downhill. So, at, <laughs> no, because at, at 21, right, when, when you hit... Well, I'm 23. 
I turned 24 in December. So, so at, at 16, you get a license to drive in this country, right? So that's a big milestone. Then at 18, you get to vote. 21, you get to drink. After that, you know what you've got left? Retirement, 65 or better. If, if it happens. If you get there. Yes, that is true. Uh, but so, like I said, peak age, four years old. Um, but let's hey, we digress. Right. So let's uh, let's jump into it because we have a great show. We had a great interview with Santi Bauza earlier uh, today, and I can't wait to bring that to everyone because it was it was just fantastic covering a lot of different things, um, including Messi, PSG, England, Spain. I mean, Argentina it was everywhere. So um, let's start off with trivia. We're going to return trivia. Oh, I need to make one more qu- uh, announcement. Um, if you haven't learned just yet, we have joined the Shoot the Defense Media Network. So our good friend Stel Stiliano invited us to be part of his platform. He's got a bunch of great podcasts going on there. Definitely check him out. Follow them on Twitter at Shoot the Defense, and uh, and and you'll get all the other shows that uh, that are on the platform as well as us. So uh, definitely go and check that out. Very very excited for us to be part of his team and his network, and uh, it's it's going to be great. So. Um, now that I've announced that, let's hit the trivia question, my friend. And I have a good trivia question for you. Uh, City, Manchester City is embarking on winning the, uh, their back-to-back championship, right? They were last year's champions in the APL. They're looking to repeat as champions this year. My simple question to you, in the Premier League era, so since I believe 92-93, only I believe seven teams that have won the Premier League. Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester, Blackburn, and Liverpool. Of that, how many of those teams have repeated as champions, and how many times has it been done? Ooh, that's a good question. There you go. Bring you the answer at the end of the show. So... Let's jump into opening thoughts, and with all the leagues kicking off except for one, uh, in Italy they're a little lazy, the, they're still on holiday, uh, today being Ferragosto in Italy, uh, so they are still uh, they're on holiday right now, and they'll come back next week, but the leagues have kicked off for the most part in the, in the five big leagues in Europe, so we haven't made any predictions yet, so I wanted to get into it and start there. Uh, first, let's, let's start, I guess, in the, in the Premier League. As we said, Manchester City looking to repeat as champions uh, this season. The, you know, the, the common thinking is that you'd want to look at Man City again, but no Kun Aguero anymore. We talked about that with Santi Bauza coming up, um, looking at playing more of a false nine. In the meantime, Rafael Varane joins Manchester United. Jaden Sancho joins Manchester United. Romelu Lukaku comes in as that main striker. It didn't work out quite as well with Timo Werner last year. And uh, Olivia Giroud had moved on to uh, to AC Milan, so they needed a striker. They bring in Big Rom and have improved their team as well. This is the defending Champions League champions as well and uh, winning the European Super Cup also on the weekend. So they've improved their squad as well. Arsenal, I think, is going to be something by the wayside, but... Liverpool bring back Virgil van Dijk, uh, a 3-0 shutout to open the season yesterday against Norwich. Again, a, a newly promoted Norwich, but still, you've got Virgil van Dijk back in that squad. That team is healthy again and and also dangerous. Everton also looked very, very good on the weekend. So, uh, you know, we're not going to predict who's going to get relegated. I think it's a long season. It's going to be tough to say. At this point, Arsenal fans would tell you they're going to get relegated. So I think we'll leave that one out for now. But in terms of predicting a champion this year... Um, Many many signs will still point to Manchester City. Manchester City is is still dominant in the midfield. They have a good defense. We saw Ruben Diaz what he did last year. Ederson is is one of the best goalkeepers uh, in the world. 
We've got uh, Pep Guardiola. We know what he's all about. I'm going to actually go the opposite route, and I'm going to make the first prediction of the 21-22 season, and I am taking Chelsea to win the Premier League this year. I think they have made the right improvements over this, over this transfer window so far. Um, I think bringing in Lukaku is a massive get for them, and, and they've kind of cre- freed up a little bit of Deadwood. They brought in some money for, for Tomori, who uh, they sent out permanently to Milan. Um, they've made a couple of other small moves as well, and to the tune of really not spending a lot of money. Their net spend was almost £40 million, and they still improved the squad. I, for me, Romelu Lukaku adds a big scoring opportunity for Chelsea, one that they didn't quite have consistently last year. And for me, Chelsea will be the 21-22 uh, Premier League champions. What say you, Rob? I'm going to have to disagree on this one. I think this Manchester City side is looking really great. And I agree. I think Chelsea will be in that discussion. And I think it's between them and Manchester City. I just think that with Manchester City, you know, winning team, it's hard to win the Premier League back to back. That's kind of one of the points of the of the questions, uh, the trivia question that you gave me. Mm-hmm. But I just think that with the side that, that they have, they just had in Jack Grealish for 100 million pounds. I think they look like a side that continue to be competitive on all fronts. I think they look absolutely strong on on their depth. The same with Chelsea. Let's say you could say the same thing about Chelsea, but I just worry about, you know, what they can look like consistently. I mean, you know, they are the European champions and they have, they have more pressure than probably anyone right now. I just think that with the city side, you know, the, these are players that have won this, this title multiple times. They're born winners. They, they have the experience. I just think that I think we'll see a tight season. And it's always been that way, hopefully, in the Premier League that we, we see tight seasons. You're going to see the likes of Liverpool, Man United, um, and all those other teams fight. But I just think that with the City side, ultimately maintaining the same team, I think that will be enough for them to, to go over the hump. So I think Manchester City do win the, the Premier League, but I think um, it'll be a tight one. To, to all of us to see. All right, let's uh, let's move on to France. I, I think that's a, a good place to go. Obviously, the big news in France: Lionel Messi coming in. But it's not so much Lionel Messi, um, you know, in, in terms of bringing him in. They've, I, I think, PSG have done a brilliant amount of transfer business. Now their wages are going to be through the roof. But they bring in uh, Hakimi from Inter. They bring in Georgie Wijnaldum from Liverpool. Sergio Ramos, although he's aging, although he's often injured at this point, um, they bring him in on a free, but he's a massive presence in, in the back line. Uh, Gigi Donnarumma, we've talked about him a million times, coming off the European Championship, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, especially when you factor in age, uh, I believe 22 years old, and then, of course, Lionel Messi. They've, they've done a, a massive bit of business in this uh, window. At the same time, you look at Lille, who are the defending champions at the moment, um, and and really they've uh, they've sold Mike Magnan to Milan to replace Donnarumma. They sold off a couple of other pieces in their in, in their in their group. Luis Arroyo is going to Atlanta United, and they also the big loss for them is Christophe Galtier, uh, who has moved on from Lille to Nice, and Nice looked fantastic uh, so far this season. So that's going to be interesting to watch them. But my God, I, you know, with the amount of star power 
at PSG. There is a lot of weight that comes with that on their shoulders, but their goal is not going to be the league on title. Their goal is obviously going to be Champions League. But for me, I don't think there's any doubt that PSG is going to be champions um, at the end of the season in Ligue 1. How about your thoughts? Yeah, unless something dramatically changes. I think not only will PSG be Ligue 1 champions, Joe, mm-hmm. I think this will be the first league that's done as well. Yeah. I, I just don't. And, and mind you, what we saw yesterday in the Strasbourg game, they almost gave them a fight. But mind you, that wasn't even as strong of a PSG side that they could put out. So... Yeah, but I think not only PSG wins this by far, mm-hmm. but I think it'll be the first one that will be wrapped up out of the top five. I, I, I agree with you there as well. Let's um let's go to Spain. OK, a defending champion there, Atletico Madrid. Uh, the only player they've brought in and, and a very good player at that one is Rodrigo de Paul. They brought in from Udinese. Um, they haven't really unloaded a ton of pieces there. So that's still a team, a championship team that is still intact. Obviously, Barca's always been one of the bigger challengers. They lose Lionel Messi. Um, we talk about uh, Kun Aguero, who's going to be out for 10 weeks. They bring in Memphis Depay. They've looked good so far in the preseason otherwise, but you wonder how long that will last without their top goal scorer over the past 20 years. Um, you know, how they will do there. And then there's Real Madrid. Real Madrid uh, looked a little shaky at the start against Alaves yesterday, but did definitely turn it on. Karim Benzema, you've got Eden Hazard, if you can keep him healthy, how long, uh, you know, what he adds to the team. Gareth Bale has returned as well. So for me, looking at this, I mean, the title will go to Madrid, right? I, I don't think there's there's much doubt of that, but I think Real Madrid is going to be the team that wins it this year, despite selling off Rafa Varane and Sergio Ramos, I think that they are still capable of doing this. Thibaut Courtois on the back is still going to be great. And for me, it's going to be Real Madrid, but it is going to be, this might be the last title uh, decided in this league this season. What do you, what say you, Rob? Yeah, um, I, I think so too. I think Real Madrid have really gotten much more stronger. You don't know what to expect from Barcelona now outside of Messi's departure. They still have good players. They still have really good players. And, you know, I think they have every right to be in that in that title defense. Um, I don't see them falling apart, as many people are saying. Atleti, you know, they um, they have obviously the champ. They are the reigning champions, and they have the experience. They did get Rodrigo de Paul, like you said, Joe. So they're definitely in there. But keep an eye on Sevilla. Mm-hmm. They've gotten a lot of key pieces over the over the summer as well. I think they might be one to watch out for. I don't see them winning it either. I, I don't see that personally, but I think they they can make a, a fight if they need to. Um, but I, I agree. I think Real Madrid are, are, in my estimated opinion, the favorites to win this La Liga fight. And uh, in terms of the, the final league to get decided, I think so, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd probably have to say between probably England and Spain that this one might be decided last. Yeah. Um, if I was, you know, gun to my head, if I had to choose. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I, I think, though, that this... This league overall might be a two or three team race going into those final weeks, but I think this will be the last one uh, decided as well. Let, let's run over to Germany. Um, you know, w- with David Alaba, Alaba moving over to Real Madrid, a move we didn't talk about, Bayern Munich have done a good bit of business in bringing in Dio Upamecano from RB Leipzig, uh, another fantastic young defender. They, they seem to always find those those right pieces in Germany to make things happen. Um, they've lost Javi Martinez, but again, this is another team that, uh, and oh, and Jerome Boateng, they've, they, you know, he's also moved on as well, but 
This is a team that also, you know, seems to always make the right moves. At the same time, their biggest challengers would be from Borussia Dortmund. Um, Dortmund have gotten some pieces. They picked up a piece uh, in Daniel Malin from uh, PSG, uh, PSV Eindhoven. Uh, they bring in George Kobel, for, the goalkeeper from Stuttgart, to come in and, and really challenge for that spot. But they do lose Lucas Piszczek, uh, who has moved on at this point. And obviously the big loss of Jaden Sancho moving on to Manchester United. And the other challenger that you normally look at in this regard is going to be RB Leipzig. They bring in Angelino, who had a great season with them last year on loan from City. Um, they bring in uh, you know a couple of other key players. Andre Silva is going to be a great striker for them. And, and they do lose Upamecano and uh, Ibrahim Konate as well, who moved on to Liverpool. So they've lost some pieces. They bring in Jesse Marsh, the American coach, as well. Um, also, uh, Bayern Munich dealing with a new coach uh, here as well because of Hansi Flick moving on to the national team. So they bring in Julian Nagelsmann, who comes over from Leipzig. I think, that, again, this is Bayern's... Um, Championship, but I do think that it will be Dortmund this year that will really push them, and not necessarily Leipzig. Um, and then Dortmund also bring in Marco Rosa from Mönchengladbach. I think this is going to be Dort. I mean, it's going to be Bayern, but this will not go as easily as Bayern would like. What are your thoughts? But don't we say that every year about Dortmund? What's I'm sorry. I said, don't we say that every year about Dortmund, we, really? We do, we do. And, and for the most part, they do get challenged. Um, you know, do they win it uh, sometime in April-ish? Yeah, but, you know, this, this past season, they were pushed by Leipzig, even to the point where Leipzig, you know, really kept pace with them for the most part until that second leg of their home-and-home home match during the season. I know we say it about them every year, but, I, I you know, this year, I, I, I don't think it's any different because I think as much, everyone's improved in spots that they needed to. Um, and, and I think they, they've got a, a very good league. This is going to be one of the tougher leagues to win because there's quite a bit of depth from top to bottom. So I, I, for me, Bayern is still the class above, but at the same time, this is still a tight league, much tighter than many people want to think. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think Bayern Munich um, have the talents, have the, the game, the, the winners on the team to, to go for it and, and win it. So personally, I think Bayern also win yeah. the Bundesliga this season. So let's let's move on to the last league, and that would be uh, the Serie A. And and believe it or not, the the Bundesliga has actually spent more money this season than than uh, the Serie A. The Bundesliga spent five hundred and fifty five million pounds, and uh, Italy has spent four hundred and seventy one million pounds. So it's a, it's a little bit of unusual. Defending champion here is Inter Milan, but excuse me, as we've as we've discussed, there's been a great dismantling of of AC Milan to an extent. Uh, we saw Ashraf Hakimi move to PSG. They have since um, yesterday brought on Denzel Dumfries, who had a fantastic Euro. They bring him from PSV Eindhoven to fill that role. Uh, Inter also bring on Eden Dzeko to fill the role of Romelu Lukaku on a free. Uh, you look at their biggest challenger, which of course is always going to be Juventus at this point. And Juve have not made massive moves at this one. Uh, they've finalized Weston McKinney. He is their property now from Schalke for 15 million pounds. Uh, and they bring on Caio George, who's a great young striker. We saw him have a fantastic Copa Libertadores with Santos. Uh, they bring him on for only 2.6 million pounds. They lose the leadership of, of Gianluigi Buffon. They could have brought on Christian Romero, who they had loaned out to Atalanta, but then they sold to Atalanta, who have since sold him on to Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you know, they've got a lot of pieces out on loan as well, and I don't know that they're entirely done making moves, but I think for the most part, given the financials Juve has done, but the dismantling of 
Inter Milan has really opened the door for both Juve. I think they've opened the door for Atalanta as well, who has improved as well. Um, you know, w- with a bunch of different players that they brought on, they bring in Mary Demerol from Juve on loan to fill the void of Christian Romero. This is this is a tough league. I think we're going back to a Juventus championship here. Max Allegri coming in will definitely stabilize the ship over the experiment of Andrea Pirlo. But this is, again, another league, and we talked about it with Martino Puccio a couple weeks ago, where this is going to be tough to call, uh, where, you know, it's, it's going to be Juve. This will probably be the second-to-last league decided for me. Uh, but, but you've got Atalanta who's going to be there. You've got Inter who are still going to be very good. And they bring on Simone Inzaghi to replace Antonio Conte. You've got Juve. You've got AC Milan, who has also improved over the season. They do bring in Olivier Giroud from Chelsea uh, as, as one of their um, their moves. But they finalized t- uh, Tomori. They finalized the loan of Sandro Tonali. They bring in Mike Magnan to, um, from Lille to replace Gigio Donnarumma. Um, they also bring in Brahim Diaz, who, uh, who came over on loan from uh, Real Madrid. There are a lot of good moves that... Milan have made here as well. You know, then you've got Lazio, you've you've got Roma who have Jose Mourinho at this point. There is a lot of of moving pieces here, and I think that top battle will go on and on and on all season long and be worth watching. But I think we're going to return to a Juventus championship here, uh, given the moves that they've made. What are your thoughts on the Serie A, Mr. Roberto Rojas? No, this is going to be a really entertaining league. I think we're going to see the most charisma if that's the right word to use, coming from that league. I think the amount of storylines, the amount of personalities on the pitch, the managers, and everything surrounding those teams is going to be really, really good to see. And, yeah, I think the dismantling of Inter really worries me a lot. Um, I think they still have a competitive side to really challenge for the Serie A. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, someone like Inzani is is a manager that has done very, very well at Lazio. Um, we'll see how he can do when he makes this big jump to a bigger team that have that aspire for more, obviously, because, you know, they got Champions League and they got other things to, to worry about. Um, but I agree. I think with Allegri coming back to Juventus, I think, obviously, he's a winner for multiple clubs in Italy. Um, he's won this before. He knows a lot of these players. He has the experience. Um, I think... I think we I, – I don't know if it's going to be as tight as we saw it last season, Joe. That's my worry. That's my fear. Think- I would say yes, but I just – you worry about the other teams and how much they can can push the other sides, um, the other sides this season. You're really thinking Juve run away with it, huh? I don't think they run away with it, but I, I don't think – I think it will be much – won't be as close as we expect it to be. I don't see like Juve winning by like two or three points. I'd say maybe five or six okay. at the end. Interesting. Interesting. I, I, I mean, not that I'm disagreeing with you, but I, I think those five or six are going, that, that final margin of victory is going to come in the yeah, last. No, I mean, it'll two. be, it'll be tight. Yeah. I just, you have to worry about like how much all these teams are putting in the work all season. Mind you, you know, I think Juventus, are the more the side that has under more pressure than any of them, honestly, because they have the better team. They want one thing more than the Serie A. Well, they, they want to win everything, obviously, but they also want to aspire for that Champions League title. Um, maybe something that Inter doesn't want to do, or something that Roma does, or not Roma, um, you know, Atalanta want to do. So, I think um, I think it'll be a tight one, hmm. but 
my fear is that I think Juventus are going to win it more convincingly than we saw in the past uh, couple seasons. Interesting. I, I want to ask you one more quick question. Um, sure. Obviously, you and I both being you know American based, we we saw Venezia make some move some moves for two Americans, uh, Gianluca Busio and uh, Tanner Tessman. Uh, we, you know, we see Weston McKinney have great success at Juve last year, moving over from Schalke. Are you starting to see the proliferation of the American player um, throughout Europe? You know, Josh Sargent made the move from Werder Bremen to, um, you know, to Norwich City. Uh, you know, Gio Reyna still at Dortmund. Traditionally, many of the, the higher American level talent uh, players have moved over to Germany. But now we're starting to see them move to Italy. We're starting to see them kind of, you know, brush into England a little bit. We saw Daryl DK do that. Um, are you are you are you seeing or are you, you know do you feel that we're we're starting to gain more of an influence into Europe and is that a good thing for American national team fans? Oh, absolutely. I think you always want your players to be spread around, not just teams in Europe, but also you know the big teams in Europe to get those minutes. Um, you know, certainly that's what their merit is is based on is how good they are not just on the nationality i think thankfully we're living in an age where now people are really paying attention to the american player where they've always had but i think now with the success of Pulisic and obviously players that come after him like mckenny reina and you know the u.s officially now a top 10 team in the fifa rankings uh mm-hmm. you want to you can uh, yeah i don't know how much you take into that consideration but uh, i think um i think the, i think the stock has, has risen and yeah. and rightly so. I think there are talented players out there that, you know, in an age now, thankfully, that we have the accessibility to really, Joe, if you think about it, just, you know, any player in the world, you can find it on like some scouting website or on YouTube or, or anything, really. And it's it's right there at a click of a button. So it's um it's good to see. I think obviously the matter is not just the case of them being there and getting minutes. Now it's the case of them for them to really be consistent and play well. It's not going to happen. You're not going to see all these players be consistently well within a 38 game season. You're going to have, you know, bad games. You're going to have those those weak uh, matches that happen. It happens. It happens to all of them. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's great to see it. It's great to see it, of course, in the Syria, um, where you know, not many Americans historically have played there. Um, you know, uh, hopefully we can see some more in, in Spain as well. We have some in France. And yeah, that, that's we just have to continue going on with that and continue to to export the best talent that we can and, and ultimately play in these leagues that allow them to gain the experience and and eventually, you know, help the national team when it comes to those competitive games. Yeah. And, and as far as the world rankings go, the FIFA world rankings are a joke. I mean, Italy's ranked five right now. They beat number one, number four, and number seven on their way to the European title, um, and they're ranked fifth. Argentina are ranked sixth, and they beat number two in the final to get there to, to win that title, and they're ranked sixth. So you, you got to take the FIFA rankings with a grain of salt to be sure. No, so. no, of course. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I generally don't think the United States are a top-ten team in the world anyway. But Right. <laughs> Yeah, that that as well. So yeah, it's just it's, it's weird. Yeah. What can you do? So let's table our discussion of uh, of the European football and and obviously American influence there, and let's get to our interview because we were uh, lucky enough earlier to be joined by Santi Bauza from CNN World Sport and Hand of Pod podcast to discuss you know the Lionel Messi transfer as well as many other things in European football. So without further ado, the Santi Bauza interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from CNN World Sport and the Hand of Pod podcast, Santi Bauza. Santi, welcome to the show. It is great to have you on board. 
I would like to start the questioning with uh, a Lionel Messi question from really the, the Argentinian side, seeing that you're based in Buenos Aires. Uh, we, we all know what this meant to the people of PSG. We saw his reception earlier this week, and we know what it means to the people of Barcelona as well and how disappointed they are in the fact that they're, they're one of their greatest players ever has left the club. Um, how was this received in Argentina, though, especially given the heels of winning the Copa America, finally getting that international trophy off of his back, and now making this massive move to uh, to Paris from a Barcelona that they've always seen Messi at. How was this received among the people in Argentina? Well, first off, uh, hi, guys. Thank you for having me. And... Um... Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a shock, uh, to be honest, because, I mean, even after what, all what transpired last year with the Bureau of Facts and uh, how that came out, uh, we all thought that after that, if Messi didn't leave Barcelona, after their relationship had crumbled completely, we all thought, you know, there's no way back. He, he has to retire at Barcelona. But, uh, but then this happened, and uh, this is basically a case of Barcelona losing Messi entirely in their own fault um so so yeah i mean it's it's been a it's been a crazy summer for for us Argentines. i mean you know enough about that already but uh but um i think um what uh what surprised us the most from from all this move is everything that generated um around that uh the fact that we're probably seeing uh the a level of uh, of ubiquity and recognition and craze around Messi that, to be honest, we never quite saw while he was at Barcelona. Maybe because we just all accepted that 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 status quo, you know. So uh, so you know, it's been massive to 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 see all this reception and this level of fan 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 support and. Uh, and the flares and the cheers and uh, him being introduced like a like a Chicago ball at the Parc de France and uh, and you know that and in general I think uh, it's been agreed I think among among us Argentines that this is probably good for Messi as well because um, I think it was clear to see that in Barcelona he was kind of being held back uh, because of uh, the the crumbling of the financial and sporting project at Barcelona, the fact that they are looking less and less and less likely to challenge for the biggest trophies. And uh, since we know Messi is such a competitive and such a restless player when he when it comes to some of his objectives, he definitely wants to win the Champions League once again before he retires at least. And he also gets to, to play with uh, not just uh, one of his best friends in football, Neymar, but also... Uh, his international teammates like uh, Leandro Paredes and Angel Di Maria, a potential future Argentina manager in Pochettino, although it is unsure if uh, by the time Pochettino um, manages the national team, Messi will still be playing. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it's I think the the overall consensus is that this is probably I mean this is a shock, of course, nobody expected this, but in the end we might have to we might get some positives from the from a sporting perspective now i'd like to jump in real quick so i want to ask you a follow-up question i watched uh, the match against strasburg yesterday and uh phil shane who's a, a great friend of the show and thomas rongan were in the broadcast booth doing the show here for, in the united states 
And they had mentioned about Leandro Paredes because obviously Angel Di Maria, his Argentine compatriot, uh, has certainly a place on PSG. Uh, Pochettino, Argentinian, obviously is the head coach. Uh, as long as things go very well, he'll he'll remain. The question was about Leandro Paredes. Does he have a place on this PSG side, a, a, a team that is so talented, um, brought in, um, you know, have brought in multiple players this season. Do you feel that he'll get enough playing time to be happy at PSG? Or do you think that it might be time for Paredes to maybe move on to some, another team, especially with a, a couple weeks left in the transfer window and, and get a little more playing time than he will at PSG itself? That is a very bad question to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but um, something that I've, uh, that I've come across recently when people discussed uh, PSG's, ridiculous transfer window to be quite honest is the fact that uh they seem to be also kind of learning from the galactic experience from the from the beginning of the century in the sense that um that real madrid side definitely had a stacked starting 11 but but once you know one or two or three players from that starting 11 went missing they had to rely on very, very mediocre or average, you know, fringe players or youth products who are just were just not up to standard. And then that's why the project, in a way, crumbled. That's why um, Real Madrid only had, you know, two La Liga titles and one Champions League from that Galactico experience uh, in in about five or six years. Uh, and I think if you bear that in mind, Paredes is like a really, really valuable player to keep in your squad because he offers something that uh, Gini Bainalum or Marco Berratti or even Idrissa Ganagay does not I mean it's not uh, I mean they can definitely do it but not as good as Paredes which just progress the ball from the back and uh, be something of a deep line playmaker um, when you when you compare to Berratti, who's probably who's probably become more used to playing further upfield, maybe even as a number ten for Italy at times, and by Nanmo, who's basically a box-to-box midfielder. So, if you're gonna play, for example, with a with a double pivot of both of them, it would be better to play with a three-man backline so that it does not get that much exposed in the counter, which is something PSG had to, have had to to deal with. Constantly, because that's basically how um, league on teams set up against them. So um, when they have to play most games with uh, with possession of the ball and with teams, you know, um, in a in a low block against them, I think Paredes is a very very solid choice, a very solid midfielder to have and progress the ball and try to break into those uh, those low blocks. Now, Santi, looking ahead, obviously, because we might not see Messi make his PSG debut until after the World Cup qualifiers, which obviously Argentina have in about a couple of weeks. I wanted to go more into that now. Obviously, you know, winning that Copa America was kind of a, and we had this discussion a, a couple of weeks ago with our guest Martino Vuccio. And he said that, you know, I think this relief of him not just leaving Barcelona and also winning the Copa America might be the the start of a new Lionel Messi you're not new in the sense of always oh, going to be uh, different than what he was in, in the past but still he, he's still going to be as great and effective so I was kind of wanted to ask you if you feel like heading into obviously the World Cup qualifiers and and after Argentina winning that Copa America that this rejuvenated Messi on a new team straight out of winning the Copa America might favor Argentina more heading into these games yeah, I think that's that's a general feeling that uh, 
that really, really encouraged everyone after winning the Copa America, which is that it never felt like a culmination of anything. It felt like a beginning because, uh, I mean, you know, our word is, our word is 34, Messi is, thir- oh, sorry, 33, Messi is 34, Di Maria is 34, but everyone around them is still around or just before reaching the prime and we only have like a year and a half before the before the next World Cup in Qatar and uh, I feel like after after this triumph and after you know especially after this new challenge that um, that now shows up on Messi's door it feels like uh, it feels like something is brewing it feels like this is this might be the perfect springboard uh, for Messi to to keep uh, producing the kind of performances he, he produced, uh, he produced in in Brazil, and uh, to keep gelling with his teammates and to consolidate, I think that uh, that squad that's been brewing even before the 2019 Copa America in the first process under Scaloni. Um, yeah, I I think it definitely feels like uh, like the best move possible to keep uh, his uh, competitiveness at the at the very very top. You know, um, and to keep uh, and to keep growing, maybe as a player, to to keep to play with more versatile forwards like Neymar and Mbappe, and even Mauro Icardi, who's not exactly versatile, but you know he offers something different. Um, and uh, yeah, especially when you consider that one of the main clauses of his contract at PSG is that um, he will uh, he will be able to play with the national team. Whenever he's called, even if it's again for a meaningless friendly, PSG cannot get in the middle of a call-up. And the fact that um, Argentine doctors, AFA doctors, can also operate within the within the the club's facilities, it feels like this is also kind of engineered towards Messi um, arriving at Qatar in the best shape possible. So I don't know. It just feels really, really encouraging from an Argentina perspective. Now, going back into PSG, obviously the rumors are starting to come out even more than what we saw from Messi. Obviously, what we've seen over the last few days has been this sort of discontent by Kylian Mbappe. And even though the president, Nassir Al-Halaifi, said that you know he was not for sale and that he's really part of this project, there have still been some rumors coming up. But also, there had also been some rumors in that Cristiano Ronaldo, that fin- after finishing his contract at Juventus, might be looking to come to PSG and you already know make that team even more stacked than what it is so I was just curious what you think of those rumors and if you see any of them po- possibly happening well if that happens we'll, we'll just have to you know close football down you know I mean it doesn't make any sense anymore uh, but uh, to be honest I mean I think a move for, for Kylian Mbappe right now to Real Madrid is uh, is very difficult. It's very difficult because uh, I mean we know how uh, austere um, Real Madrid have been econo- in, ter- in economic terms to fund uh, Kylian Mbappe's move. I know that PSG will ask if if they ask for a transfer fee, they will ask for something similar to what they paid. Since you know it really it really doesn't make any sense to you know ask for less. Than what he paid, considering the fact that he won the World Cup after arriving at PSG. But um, even if uh, Real Madrid are just really, really struggling to sell players, the only possible sale on the horizon is Martin Nedegaard to Arsenal, um, and that's not nearly enough. 
I think the most likely scenario to to unravel is uh, Mbappé to play this final year of his contract at PSG and then live on a free, which would also be... I mean, it would be scandalous uh, in economic terms for PSG if, if it were not for a fact that they can basically do whatever they want and never, you know, suffer any sort of economic uh, downturn because of this. So... When you consider that and you you consider the fact that um, Mbappé might leave on a free next season, it opens up a space for Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo to, to join. But the thing is, can uh, a club like PSG pay both the salaries of the two most uh, valuable players in the world without anyone raising their eyebrows at this moment? I mean, the, you're inclined to say yes. But I don't know. I just, I just don't really see it. Um uh, to be honest, it's it, it's quite diff- difficult to wrap my head around uh, Messi and Cristiano playing for the same team, especially both with both at uh, you know at 35 and uh, at 37 by the time they by the time they do so. But uh, I mean, if Messi is playing at PSG at this moment, that certainly proves that nothing is impossible for these people. You know, at this point, why don't we just bring Erling Holland over as well? I mean, we'll just load all the stars into Paris and we'll call it a day. I think. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I do want to ask you. I, I do want to ask you about a couple other Argentinian uh, players that are that are based in Europe. I, I think I want to start with Lautaro Martinez. Uh, we saw his partner, his strike partner at Inter, Romelu Lukaku, sold to Chelsea in in really what looks to be something of a fire sale going on at Inter Milan right now. Lautaro has been rumored time and time again to be one of those other strikers that might go to Real Madrid, probably going to be more affordable than than the aforementioned Kylian Mbappe. Uh, do you see Lautaro Martinez finally making that move? I don't think it'll happen in this window, but sometime very, very soon in the near future, if Kylian Mbappe is not available, is is Lautaro Martinez that, that next option for Real Madrid? Yeah, I think Lautaro Martinez is a funny player in the sense that um, no one can deny his, his ability, no one can deny his quality. But I think it's become clear throughout his career that um, he will always, you always get the best of him when you play him alongside a big man striker. And you know, in that uh, little and large, you know, traditional four-four-two almost kind of uh, kind of partnership you used to see, like in the late 90s and early 2000s Premier League. You know, he even before Lukaku, he had that with Mauro Icardi in his first season. And even at Racing with uh, Lisandro Lopez. Uh, so when we saw him playing as a sole striker in for Argentina, for example, in the Copa America, he did score three goals in the competition, but it looked at times like he had to track, he had to track back a lot to see the ball. Or he he would be otherwise like very very disconnected from games, so it feels like Lautaro Martinez can be a really really good striker if he can um, if he, if you can give him a certain context uh, for him to shine. Can he be, can can you give him that at Real Madrid um, alongside Karim Benzema? If Real Madrid are gonna play with the same um, this position they keep playing with the same tactics they keep playing with Benzema as this sort of everyman uh, up top. I don't think it looks all that likely that both can play together in the same team. Now, um, which is also why, you know, 
the Lautaro move has also been heavily rumored to to both Arsenal and Tottenham. I do not think he would um, he would fit all that well for either team, especially if Tottenham. Uh, if he he arrives eventually at Tottenham as a as a replacement for Harry Kane, which I think would not work out. But um, but yeah, uh, but in terms of you know, if we go if we go back to Inter themselves, I mean. I think their their main plan for most of the transfer window is to sell uh, to sell Lautaro and keep Lukaku. But the opposite has happened, and I think if if they sell Lautaro and Lukaku in the same transfer window, you know, it will crumble for them. So I think they just cannot afford that luxury to just keep selling. Well, if you if you sell one of your two strikers, it's already you know. Generated a lot of uh, a lot of discontent, a lot uh, discontent, a lot along from the from their own fans. Mm. So they just can't afford to to sell Lukaku, sorry, sell Lautaro as well. So I just I just don't see it. I, I agree. I think I think at this point, in terms of the big sales for Inter Milan, I think they're done um, because the only massive pieces left are going to be, like you said, Lautaro Martinez, um, Nicola Barella, uh, who I don't think they're looking to part with at all because he is the basis of their midfield moving forward. Yeah. And they're, and they're too. And then their three defenders, the Vrij yeah. and Bastoni, because that's, that would be the heart of their defense. So I, I don't see them really selling any more. I, I do agree with you. I think they were looking to sell Lautaro, but when you get a hundred million euro for Romelu Lukaku, it's a massive, massive amount of money and they, and they took advantage of it for sure. Yeah. And um, it looks like uh, also like uh, this might be the last time for in, in Lukaku. I know, he, I know he's still young. He's like 27, 28, hmm. but um, he's probably at the peak of his, of his value as well. So it's like an opportunity, a, a unique opportunity for them to cash in. Yeah. I, I think they're going to do it, but I think they'll do it once they have his replacement you know, marked. If I think they went for Eden Dzeko to replace Lautaro. I'm sorry, not Lautaro, uh, Romelu Lukaku. And I think it was a, a serviceable replacement, but I don't think it was the replacement they were probably hoping for. But uh, Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to, to Seko at all. I think it's really underrated. But, uh, you know, Lukaku to Seko is a big, big difference. Yeah, step down for sure. The last Argentinian I'd like to speak to you about is probably the most disappointed Argentinian in the world right now. We talk about that, the happiness of, of Di Maria and Paredes uh, gaining Messi. I want to talk about the person that, that moved and lost Messi, and that would be Kun Aguero. Uh, obviously making the big move from, from Man City, where we knew he was on the way out to the to, to Barcelona, looking to play with his friend Messi. Messi ups and leaves. Now Kun Aguero picks up this calf injury where he's out up to 10 weeks. Um, have One, I want to ask you a two-part question. One, uh, from the Kun Aguero side, have we seen the last of Kun Aguero in, in world football, you know, getting up there in age? Now he's become injury-prone, and, and this injury is a, is a pretty big one. And two, what do Man City do here now? Because they don't really have a true striker. Um, Gabriel Jesus has not always been in favor with Pep Guardiola. They don't have another striker to play in, in that spot. I know they're good at, at playing the false nine, but I, I don't think Pep wants to play that way. So in two parts, are we done with Kun Aguero or is Kun Aguero done with world football? And in and, and the Man City part of it, what, uh, what does Man City do with a couple of weeks left in the uh, transfer window? Okay, um, so... When it comes to Aguero, I think it's a real shame. I mean, even even when it looked like he was fit for the for the Copa, 
he seemed like he was out of shape. You know, even even in, in the game he started against uh, against Bolivia, he did produce that beautiful chip assist for Messi. But other than that, it he really looked like he was out of it. He was uh, he was just not uh, catching up to to the rhythm Argentina were playing during first halves in the in the Copa America and. Uh, and it's a real shame because Aguero has been always such a tricky, potent, um, quick player. And to, to see him diminished in this, in this way, I mean, it, it always looked like last season was probably um, with a lot of his excuses, you know, uh, the, the lack of preseason, uh, his extended periods either injured or with COVID. And, uh, and it looked like he... Could have this next season as a springboard to just to return to to his to his more usual form and uh, and to kick on from that, especially playing along alongside Messi at Barcelona. Even if uh, it never made a lot of sense from um, from him fitting in at Barcelona, it always made sense if it was enough to to convince Messi to stay. But it wasn't. In fact, I think it probably hindered Messi's chances to be signed because of his wages. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a big ask whether Aguero can come back from this injury and uh, and uh, finally uh, produce a, a more satisfying end to his European career. I mean, I I would hope that this is not the last we see from Aguero at top level. I still do want to see him at Independiente uh, to close his career, even if that looks more and more unlikely. As the years go by, uh, you know, with everything that's going on both within Aguero's life and Independiente. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't look well. And I really, really hope he, he gets back to his form because uh, it, it, al- it always looked like, you know, he was he burned so brightly, so young. that, uh, that uh, And we've seen this kind of, uh, you know, uh, trend before with the likes of Wayne Rooney that, uh, you know, when players... Uh, break into the scene when they're like 17, 18 years old. They they seem to have their peak uh, way earlier than than most players, and therefore they decline earlier than most players. Something you can arguably see with Luis Suarez as well, even if it's not as as pronounced as Aguero. But uh, but yeah, I mean it looks like it's following that trend. Even if I hope it's not. But uh, when um, and I think when it comes to Manchester City, I think the the answer to your question is their persistent and uh, restless uh, search to find a deal with Tottenham to sign Harry Kane, who I think is the most uh, the ideal Pep Guardiola striker in which he can do basically everything. He can play with his back to the ball. He can make those runs. He can. Uh, He's such an excellent finisher. Um, as long as you don't put him, you know, uh, on corner kicks, he can do basically everything you wish for in a strike. He's so good in the air as well. He can provide you with literally anything, and uh, and it's such a fit, such a good fit for this Manchester City side. But uh, otherwise, I think um, City will have to get used to playing with like six midfielders and uh, <laughs> and a false nine, which can prove, uh, as you said, it can prove effective in some contexts but uh but if uh if you have to, a good uh if you get if you have a good uh defense who can who, who can uh you know uh attack them in a way um 
if if you if you can press them enough to just uh, take advantage of that lack of uh, presence in the in the penalty box, it can't be dealt with. But uh, when you have a striker like Harry Kane, it's just it becomes all the more impossible for someone to deal with that. So um, unless they, they they can sign Kane, it will raise some interesting questions. I won't, I don't think City will be you know all that diminished without a striker, but you know. If you consider just how much Kane can bring into the city side, it would be you know fearsome. It, it would be it would be something incredible for sure. Santi, thank you for joining us on the show. We have had a wonderful time speaking with you about all things football. Before we let you go, where can everybody find your work? Cool. So um, you can find me at uh, on Twitter mostly at uh, Santi underscore Bausa. Um, that's that's where I post most of my work. You can I, you can well listen to me at uh, Hand of Potter, so, as you said before. I'm also on the South American Game podcast at DSA Game. Um, so that's where you can find me. Fantastic stuff. Again, thank you for joining us. We've had a wonderful time, and we look forward to having you back again very very soon. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And th- this is for all three of us being uh, champions of our own continents. That's right, exactly. No doubt about it. Thanks again. Have a good day. See you around. And special thanks again to Santi Bowser for joining us on the show. Mr. Rojas, we have some great matches of the week coming up here this week as we get back into the full swing of things of club football. Let's start out with Tuesday where we have the quarterfinals of the Copa Libertadores. We have a derby in Palmeiras and Sao Paulo playing on Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. And then on Wednesday we have another big one, New England Revolution currently leading all MLS sides. Um, they're going to they're gonna host D.C. United on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Then we get into Europe on Saturday morning. Freiburg, Borussia Dortmund, 9.30 a.m. We move over to Spain on Saturday at 4 p.m. with Athletic Club taking on Barcelona. And on Sunday, we have Arsenal and Chelsea at 11.30 a.m., a, a London derby there. We have Napoli Venezia kicking off the Serie A season at 2.45 p.m. And then Nice and Marseille will close out our a coverage of European football on Sunday as well at 2.45 p.m. So giving you the trivia question again, I had mentioned that City will be looking to go back-to-back. Uh, you are predicting that they will actually achieve that goal of winning a back-to-back title in the Premier League. My question to you, my friend, is how many teams have won back-to-back titles in the Premier League and how many times has it been done? All right, so counting City, um, I'm going to say there have been four. Very so, Do you want to name correct? them? Do you want to name them? It is not correct, but let's see what you it's got. Not correct. All right, so um, Chelsea. Chelsea, obviously. correct. Manchester United. Correct. Obviously Man City. Correct. Uh, have Arsenal done it? Arsenal have not. There's only been three teams that have done it. Okay, that's what I thought. And how many times has it been done? Ooh, okay. Uh... And one team has won back to back to back, but I just counted I mean, that's, that as That's one. United. That's Manchester United. Okay. So, um, how many times has it been done overall? I'm going to say four. Six times it's been done. Man United in 93 94, 93 and 94. Man United again in 96 and 97. Man United again in 99, 2000, and 2001. Then Chelsea did it in 05 and 06. 
United again in 07, 08, and 09, and then City most recently in 2018 and 2019. They would become the seventh time a team has won back-to-back titles in the Premier League if they can pull it off this year. So, Excellent question. I, I, was gonna, I wanted to do that for a couple other sides, but I figured that was going to be the toughest one, even though that, that we've only seen so many champions in the Premier League. How far back do you go in like Spain or how far back do you go in, in Italy? So I figured that that was the best way. <laughs> Italy, so. that's an easy one. That'd be hard to count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, my friend, without any further items on the docket, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. Here we go. So for episode 334 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Santi Bauza for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll bring you some highlights from England, Spain, France, Germany, and Italy as they all kick off their seasons. We'll look at MLS and we will look at the second legs of the Copa Libertadores and give you who the semifinalists will be for the tournament. So for episode 334 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Ross. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.